Well, there is much in life that I would say is simply neutral. Things that aren't good or bad in and of themselves, they're not right or wrong, uh, good or evil. It's, it's, they're just neutral. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. First one, uh, money. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but in, in truth, money is just neutral. It's until we use it and what we use it for that maybe that can take on what's good and bad. But by itself, money is just neutral. Whether you have more or less isn't right or wrong, it's just neutral. Uh, the internet, uh, when that was first coming uh, to be, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my parents would talk about black and white television. I'm like, what in the world? That's so weird. Like, we've, I've always known colored television, and now the internet is going to be my black and white television for my kids. You know, I, I lived in a day pre-internet, but now we have the internet, and my, my kids will know uh, no other reality but this internet-connected world. Uh, but when it was coming about, people were freaking out, losing their minds, saying, oh, this is such an evil thing. Or they'd be on the other side saying, oh, it's such an amazing thing. The truth is, it's neutral. It's neutral. The fact that we are connected to each other via computer is just neutral. But it's how we utilize it and what we accomplish with it that can become good or bad, right or wrong. Here's one I, I might lose some of you. Sugar and sweets. Neutral? Yeah? Some love them so much, no, they're good no matter what. Others like, nope, no, that is just always bad in any dose whatsoever. Let's, let's, let's be honest, you know. It, I, I think it's a, a neutral thing that, you know, until it's how we use it. For those who aren't on the sweet side, you can replace it with kale. Kale, you know, I don't know if I can quite say kale is neutral. That's a, that's a challenge for me. But uh, it's, again, how you use it or, or what uh, it gets used for that becomes right or wrong, good or bad, sways you away from being neutral. So we're going to be talking about comfort here for the next four weeks. And I want to put the idea out there that comfort in and of itself, like other things we've mentioned, is neutral. Would you see it that way? Would you see this, uh, this ease of pain, freedom from difficulty, would you see it as neutral? Something that can either be very positive or something that can also be very negative. Yeah, I think it's easy for us to see comfort as a good thing, right? I think we're all seeking and desiring comfort, especially as Americans. I mean, there is so much in this world that is geared towards uh, our comfort. And that's the way we've set things up. You go from one climate-controlled environment to another climate-controlled environment. And for that moment when you're not in a climate-controlled environment, you're trying to control the environment, right? We're always trying to set things up for our comfort. And it, it, when you go to a restaurant, you know, this whole the customer is always right kind of mindset. You feel like every place should be geared towards you and what would be what you would want. I think one of the reasons we, get, we can get so easily frustrated on the road by everyone else who drives differently than we would have them drive is because it goes against our comfort. It's just the way that our society has built itself where there's this, this ongoing quest to be comfortable. It's, it's also with things like joy and happiness, peace and relief. Yeah, I can imagine why anyone after a long day would want to just come home and relax and just seek comfort. I think we get that, right? We've all experienced that. We can see it as a good thing. Uh, Michael C. Bush is the CEO of A Great Place to Work for All. It's the name of the organization. And uh, it's a global analytical authority on, on workplace culture, basically a big think tank company that, that seeks out um, workplace culture and trying to figure out how can we create positive workplaces. And, and he shares the story of a software creator company, uh, SAS, and they have a, a North Carolina campus and um, they just got comfort busting out of the doors of this organization, and he tells us this. Uh, they have an on-site pool, medical center, hair salon, masseuse, 
and even a world-class collection of fine art. As one team member recalls, though, the company's support goes much deeper than creature comforts. And this is the employee's story. When my mother was diagnosed with an aggressive terminal cancer, SAS was my unexpected safe haven during the storm. Try to put yourself in this lady's shoes and just imagine the comfort this would bring. I had access to resources I didn't know I needed. A sympathetic, knowledgeable elder care counselor. A carrying closet of medical equipment. A health care provider that hugged me every single time I cried. My manager went above and beyond to shift my work so that I could temporarily work out of my mother's home. My department sent notes, cards, flowers, and unconditional love when she passed. When I returned to work, I was welcomed with open arms and open hearts. It was more than comforting. It was overwhelmingly beautiful. I think when we'd hear that story, we'd say, man, comfort is an amazing thing. And, and this is something that we should strive to share with one another. And I think we would all agree, right? Especially in this, in this beautiful thing called the church, where we can offer comfort to one another by the ways that we uh, carry each other's burdens, like you, you heard in this lady's story with her company. We can do that as well as a family together as we reach out to others and want to carry their burdens and introduce them to Jesus. Comfort can be a very beautiful thing. But there can be a danger that's found in comfort as well. And what's interesting is I was seeking a good illustration for the dangers of comfort, and one kind of played itself out before my very eyes this weekend. See, we we painted our our main living area recently, and whenever you paint it, then, you know, that's the stage. Uh, (laughs) Or the end of the stage, I should say. Uh, Once you paint... A room, you know, everything else looks a little different, right? And we, we, we were set on the color we wanted, but all of a sudden the furniture didn't quite match some of it. And so, you know, some of it we'd painted before, and we like projects. And so we're moving some things around and just redecorating. And, and when we're all said and done with what we had available, there was this one wall that did a nice big open space that was just crying out for something to go on the wall. And so I had this idea that I'd seen somewhere else where you, you take a sound wave and it's got the ups and downs and you, you record something and then you convert that into a graphic image with all these vertical bars and then you use that as a piece of art. And so I'm like, that's it. I'm going to make that. And so I, I recorded myself saying, you know, one of my favorite sayings, it's actually a benediction we do here often uh, from number six, the Lord bless you and keep you, Lord make his face shine upon you, go through that. And so I recorded that and I put it into this graphic and I'm going to build this thing to stick on our wall. It's about 12 feet long. It's going to fill up this awesome space. So I, I need a lot of wood, and I want it all to come from the same place. And so I have this big, giant piece of oak that I had kind of torn apart another project. that I used some of it, but this was left over. And it was about roughly 9 feet, give or take, uh, by about 17, 18 inches wide. And i got to cut this down into strips a half inch wide. So I cut it in half, and then I cut those chunks in thirds, and so I have smaller, manageable pieces. I set up my table saw, and I'm going, cutting half-inch strip, half-inch strip, half-inch, just cut. Each one's a little over four feet long, and uh, both because I was cutting such a small area, but also because uh, I, I find myself comfortable working with the table saw in this setup, uh, there's a piece of safety equipment that the, the manufacturers provide that I've never installed and I've, I've never used because, quite honestly, in my opinion, it gets in the way. Uh, if you ever watch a, a guy use a table saw on, on a video, they always say, we've taken off this guard for d- display purposes only. When re- no one puts it on. It's this piece that kind of covers the blade. And, and so when the, the wood goes under, it lifts that cover up, but it keeps the blade concealed. So if you weren't paying attention and were to put your hand where the blade is, you would touch the cover and not the spinning sharp blade. 
So I don't have that on my table saw. Anyone who's done woodworking probably isn't surprised. Um, I'm careful about it. I'm, I'm comfortable with what I've set up as how I'm working. And so I'm going. Cutting, half-inch strip, set it aside. Half-inch strip, set it aside. Half-inch strip, set it aside. And I'm not even quite sure what happened, but every successful cut I made, I grew more and more comfortable. And then I got my illustration on the dangers of comfort. Uh, I, I felt a thud against my finger. I'm not even sure what exactly I did. And I ended up with a little bit of a bloody, gnarled tip. And uh, as far as table saw injuries go, while it was a major hit to my pride, uh, this is probably the easiest one and the smallest one you could ever possibly have had. Uh, I looked at it, and after I got cleaned up and whatnot, it was just two little, two little cuts. And again, you know, I've had to keep a Band-Aid on it because uh, they're a little deeper than your average cut. But I didn't lose a fingertip. I didn't have to go to the ER. And not one of those like, guys saying, I don't have to go to the ER, but like seriously, I didn't have to go to the ER. Um, it wasn't that bad. You know, I, I bandaged it, cleaned it up, and I, and I went back to working. But I stopped to think about that. It could have been so much worse. That could have been such a serious injury all because I got too comfortable. And I still had a lot of wood to cut, and, and so I, you know, I got cleaned up, and I got the Band-Aid on. I went back to working, and you know what was gone? Like, completely gone. Like, it, it surprised me how much it was gone. You know what was gone? My comfort with my table saw. Those first couple cuts, I mean, I'm like, kind of like getting ready, like fight or flight's kicking in here, and I'm like ready to just like, you know, wait for this thing to blow up my face and, and just run. I mean, it, it was irrational to a point, all the moms are like, no, no, Steve, that's completely rational. <laughs> but where I was before was so different than where I was now. Because I experienced that pain of, uh, it wasn't, the, again, it wasn't the comfort itself, but that comfort brought about a complacency. Or, or uh, it brought about just this place of, of uh, being careless or too casual with what was before me. And so those... Uh, who are still shaking their heads that I had a table saw accident. You can lecture me later. I still need it. I'll listen. I won't get mad at you. We can have that conversation. But see, there's other areas in life too where comfort can be a dangerous and very bad thing. Comfort in our relationships can lead to a lack of truth or a lack of resolution when conflict arrives. You ever been in conflict with someone and you just didn't want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable to have the talk? Or, or you ever been in, in, in a romantic relationship with someone that lasted uh, twice as long as it should have because you didn't want to face the uncomfortable part of breaking it off. And so you waited for things that, you know, for them to finally break it off or just you finally couldn't take it anymore and you finally just said it's over and, and, and ran off. And our relationships, again, if we don't deal with things, it can lead to that uh, a difficulty and, and, and increased conflict. I think in our finances, if we have comfort with our finances, again, we say it's a good thing, but taken to an extreme, it can lead to a heart of greed or a lack of generosity. I think in our daily life, if we're always seeking comfort, it can lead us to a place where there's a lack of passion and purpose, a lack of drive to go and accomplish something and, and, and to use our time for something greater than ourselves. Comfort can breed complacency towards sin and shortchange one's legacy. One of my favorite uh, imageries of sin is this picture of a lion, and a lion will, will devour and will, will kill and maim. And we, we take sin, things that are against the word of God, it's like this lion that we put in our house, and we say, it's okay, it's in a cage, it's under control, but we keep feeding it, we keep allowing it to, to, to live in our home with us and with our families and whatnot, but one day, eventually, that lion's going to get out of the cage. 
We're going to get comfortable with that sin in our life, and it's going to rear its ugly head, and it's going to kill and maim and destroy. When we get comfortable with sin in our lives, it can breed all kinds of danger. If we get comfortable in spiritual matters that, that are void of truth, it can lead to hurt and pain. I think sometimes we approach spiritual matters with this buffet style of, of theology where it's like, I like this, and well, these this group believes that, and that, well, this piece sounds good, and this piece sounds fun over here. Well, I grew up with this, so I got to hold on to that. And we, we just kind of buffet style together this pick and choose instead of saying, hey, where is their truth? Where, where is their evidence to back up these different claims and these different beliefs? We don't test what we believe, and when we do that, we get comfortable and in, in, in just hold on to any belief, and eventually it will let us down. And yet comfort is something that God desires for us. Again, I think comfort is neutral. It's how it plays itself out in our lives that we need to look at because God desires to provide comfort. He is the king of comfort, I would say. So the question I want us to ask this morning is what role does comfort play in your life? Is it an escape just to get through each day with as little discomfort as possible? Uh, are you just working to get home so you can, you know, Put your, sit down on the lazy boy, put your feet up and, and, and Netflix until you have to go to bed? Uh, are you just trying to um, seek, uh, are you trying to avoid as many uncomfortable situations as possible? Maybe even avoiding certain people or certain situations in your life. Uh, you get a bill that you're not crazy about, you're not sure how you're going to pay, and so you just avoid it, thinking, oh, that's uncomfortable, I don't want to deal with that, and you just push it aside, even though you know full well in your head it's going to lead to more discomfort later. But in the moment, you're saying comfort is king uh, instead of seeking the king of comfort. Where do you seek to find comfort in your life? When life throws you a curveball and you're hit with something that you didn't see coming or when you're blindsided by bad news or beaten down by difficult circumstances, when you're overwhelmed with a rocky relationship, when you go through all these difficult situations in life, does the comfort you chase truly satisfy? Does it truly heal or is it just a, a temporary solve to take away that discomfort only to have it return again? I've only broken one bone in my body, uh, but I've broken it twice. Uh, you've got to be efficient and you know, do things well. If it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So I broke it once and it healed on me, so I broke it again just to show who's boss. And, uh, but it was, my, uh, it was my right collarbone. And uh, if, if you've ever broken a collarbone before, you know there's really no uh, reasonable way they can cast it. I mean, they're not going to put you in a full upper body cast just for this one little collarbone. And so they put you in a brace that kind of kind of holds it in place, but you still have full range of movement for the most part, which means you can easily move in a certain place that will cause pain as that bone is still setting. So what do they do? They, they set you up with painkillers, and they send you on your way. And so you can look at it this way. There's those painkillers that provide temporary relief. And if I trust in those fully and just say, you know what, as long as I can keep taking these painkillers, I, I can do whatever. I'm fine. And the pain will be, be taken care of with that. And I just imagine I kept on using my arm and my shoulder as normal, continuing to re-break and, and, and cause more pain and cause more damage, but just continue to take pain pills. That would never lead to healing. It would actually uh, make the, the, the injury worse than it was before as it doesn't allow it time to heal. Or on the other side, I could go through the, the, the difficulty of keeping it immobilized, allowing it to heal, and going through the, the, the difficulty of all that, and then once it's healed, knowing now it's stronger, and I don't need the, the, I don't need the temporary relief of the pain pills anymore. 
And the reason I share that story is because when we look at the comfort that we're seeking, sometimes the comfort we seek is just that temporary fix to get us by through the moment. But there's a comfort sometimes that will allow us to experience some discomfort still that ultimately leads to healing. And that's the comfort we want to talk about here as we look about the comfort we find in God. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 or turn on uh, your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It will be on the screen as well. Uh, this is where we're going to be spending the rest of our time here this morning. And uh, see, the church in Corinth that this letter is written to had all kinds of places to seek comfort in their world. One of the temples that they would have had was the temple to Aphrodite, and uh, this was the goddess of love. And it's believed they had about a thousand uh, um, women who, who worked in the temple. And if you worked in the temple of, of love, the temple of Aphrodite, basically you were a, a temple prostitute. And you can kind of fill in the blanks as far as what temple worship would look like and how they'd play that out. And that, that, was, that was a part of their culture. Just this, okay, I'm going to go worship at the temple of Aphrodite. And, and that was one way I'm sure people sought out the comforts of this world. They, they were a bustling economy. They were a city port, and so they had all kinds of different uh, economic strains coming in and out of their city. And so uh, riches and wealth were made in Corinth. You could also make the argument they were also lost there, I'm sure. But they had all these different ways to seek comfort with your finances. You can see comfort in just enjoying aspects of life. They've uncovered different things that would say that had a very a wide, a lot of restaurants and places, I don't know if they'd call them bars, but places to get some wine. They actually found all these different facilities that would have these underground springs that they exposed so that they could chill the wine and keep them cold in the springs. And so all these places you could go and get a drink and and some said it was so uh, prolific, it was so widespread that one of the other areas in which they would uh, find comfort is they go to the theater. But it wasn't all that uncommon for those uh, performing in the plays to be plastered as well. They, they'd be drunk. It's kind of one of those things. Hey, everyone's drinking, everyone's drunk, and so you'd see that as well. They came across stories like that. You can also see comfort through just competition. It said second only to the Olympics that would have been going on in Greece. Uh, they had the, the, the second uh, largest display of games and displays of athleticism. And so you could just take all that in and enjoy the games. All these different ways. They had libraries. You could study the wisdom of man. All this was going on in, in Corinth. All these ways to find comfort in the things of man. So now you have someone who says, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to turn from the ways of this world and, and follow after the ways of God. And um, so you'd be facing the temptation to go back into those old ways of living. And on top of that, so they've been taught by the Apostle Paul about Jesus. But now you had false teachers coming. And 2 Corinthians is actually believed to be the third letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, with the second one not being found, uh, but it's referenced in some of his writings. But you, you have this third letter, you have time that he spent there, and so there's already been a relationship with him, but now there's been false teachers causing the, the church in Corinth to question Paul and his teachings. And so there's all these struggles going on, all, all, all these issues, all these things that could cause uh, suffering and discomfort uh, from the very superficial to some more deep and, and significant ways. And there's much trouble going on in the church in Corinth, but fortunately Paul is one who has much firsthand experience with trouble. But more than that, he is one who has firsthand experience with the grace of God. 
So let's dig in here, 2 Corinthians 1. This is where we were last week, actually. Uh, we looked at verse 20 as we closed out our, our series, Together We Believe, a study of the Apostles' Creed, a journey through the Apostles' Creed. And we look at just that last word, amen, right? We, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter, or, chapter 1, verse 20, which brought us this statement, for the promises of God find their yes in him, referring to Jesus, for the, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus, through him, that we utter our, our amen to God for his glory. We talked about last week how when we say amen, it's this declaration of truth. If you say something and then end it with amen, you're saying, this is true. And you're saying, I agree with it. You're making it personal, but you're also saying that there's an engagement with it. This is something that, that I engage with on a daily basis. I believe it's true. Uh, this is something that I agree with, and I'm going to engage with it. And so we see that the statement, all, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And we say, yeah, we, we look to Jesus as an example for the promises of God. If you struggle to believe the promises of God, as we talked about last week, if you missed it, you can hop online, MeadowlandChurch.org, or, or any uh, of the, the different uh, podcast apps. You can find us on there, Meadowland Church, and, and listen. Um, we talked about how we can, uh, if we struggle to believe the promises of God, we can look to the person of Jesus, right? And we see how they're fulfilled, how they're played out, how, how God is faithful in the person of Jesus. And that can give us hope as we look at the promises he's made to us we can declare it, we can agree with it, we can engage with it. If we turn back a little bit in 2 Corinthians 1, go back to verse 3, there's another statement there that I think is one worthy of saying amen, of having this declaration that yes, this is true, we agree with it, and something that we can engage with in our life. Let's read together. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So we, we can put an amen to that. We can declare that God is the God of all comfort. He is the Father of mercies. True comfort, comfort worth pursuing is found in God. Let's begin with that declaration. Let, let's agree with that to say uh, he will comfort us when we're in need of comfort. And then let's engage with that truth to see that he has given us comfort so that we can bring that comfort to others as well. We see that all played out there in those few verses. And then we get verse five. I love this. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What he's saying here is Jesus can relate to your sufferings. Isn't that significant? If we just pause for a moment. Yeah, you know, Think about something that you're going through right now or something you've just been through you're just kind of on the other side of. Did you have someone to confide in who, who could say, I know what it's like to be where you're at? Isn't that just so comforting? Think about a time where you went through something significant and you had someone at your side who had just been through what you've been through and could say, hey, I've been there before. I've been in those low places. I've been in those difficult places. I've been in the pain that you are in now, and let me tell you this, it gets better. There's a way out. There is hope. Isn't that something so amazing to have? Isn't that so comforting to have someone like that next to you? We have that in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying, is Jesus has experienced suffering. He knows what it's like to go through difficulty. 
And as we share abundantly in his sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort as well. When we live a life of a disciple, we'll experience similar sufferings, right? Jesus was rejected. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. Uh, We will experience that as a disciple of Jesus, Scripture tells us, right? Maybe not as often or as much in the States, but in other areas we see where people are, are martyred for their faith. They're killed. Talk about some suffering that their family will now experience as their loved one was killed for their belief in Jesus. Jesus was put to the cross for his claims. He can relate, he can understand those sufferings. The Corinthian disciples would have experienced suffering in Christ. If they were living in that world, there was all these uh, things you can engage in, all these things that that would pull you away from God. If you uh, engaged in them to the degree that the Corinthians were, and said, no, no, Christ is king, Jesus is God. He died on the cross for my sins. And you're going to live a different life. And then on top of that, there's false teachers. All these different things that they're going through. They would have experienced suffering. But in the same way that they experience suffering, they can share in his comfort as well. In him, we find comfort through mercy, through grace, through freedom from sin, through salvation. See, if you're seeking comfort, that truly satisfies. I'm not sure what God's going to do in your heart through this series. Um, I imagine we all have some areas where we're seeking comfort to just mask over some difficulty and pain we don't want to face, we don't want to address. Uh, In those areas of our lives, I pray that you would find a true and lasting comfort found in Christ. Others of us, uh, maybe this is you as well, but are going through things, going through just uh, sufferings and difficulty, uh, whether it be because of our faith, as, as we're making it known that we're followers of Jesus with our friends and family and coworkers, or, or just some difficulty in life that we've had to face. Again, I hope that you would find true comfort and healing and hope found in Jesus. If you are seeking comfort that truly satisfies, begin with Jesus. When we begin with Jesus, we look at the gospel, this good news, right? That we were separated from God in our sin. And God, knowing this, wanted to restore that, make a way for us to be in relationship with him. If you ever wondered, why do I need Jesus? God sent Jesus as a perfect sacrifice to pay the price for our mistakes so that when we trust in him, when we say, Jesus, I believe that you are God, and that you died on the cross for sin as a payment for sin, when we take that step, when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, Scripture teaches that Jesus takes on our sin and pays the price for it, and we take on his righteousness. We are made right. And see, I think sometimes we stop there with the good news, right? We say, that's the gospel. It's a get-out-of-hell get free card, but it's so much more than that. God did all this, made us right with him so that we could be in relationship with him to have a restored relationship with our creator, with our God in heaven. That's one of the biggest contrasts I see between uh, before sin entered the world and after. Before, we're in the physical presence of God. Adam and Eve in the garden are in the physical presence of God. Then after sin, there's separation. They're removed from the garden. God's presence is in passing by or the train of his robe that we see or the indwelling of his spirit, but we don't have the physical presence of him anymore. But he remedies that. He remedies our mistake, our suffering in the gospel. The good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So when we trust in him, that is where true comfort begins. Comfort that brings us through this discomfort and pain of this life. See, 
He can relate to your, your suffering because he's been through it. Paul can relate to the suffering of the, the, the Corinthians because he's been through suffering as well. And he impacts that a little bit here if we keep reading in our text. If we, this is referring to Paul and, and, and those with him, kind of uh, his posse here. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, referring to the Corinthians. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. See, Paul's putting a correlation here between suffering and comfort. I think so many times we want comfort to wipe out suffering. We want it to wipe out the discomfort of those things. But in truth, we find that it is through that suffering that we're brought to a true place of comfort. Paul is saying, through patient endurance, patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer, he says there. It's almost that cliche of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There's an old Arab proverb that says, all sunshine makes a desert. All sunshine makes a desert. Let me just think on that for a minute. I love the sunshine. You ever get in your car on a day? It can even be like a hot, sunny day. But you get in your car on one of those days where the windows have been up and the sun's been beating on it, and you sit down in your car, and it's that dry heat, right? So it's not humid or anything. It's almost like a sauna. And I don't know about you, but I'll leave the windows up for a little while, for about as long as I can bear it until I'm going to pass out, which is not good behind the wheel. So um, not, not that I've experienced that, but um, I'll roll down, get some fresh air and whatnot. But I just like that, that heat and that, just that dry heat. And, but all sun makes a desert. We need those storms of life that bring the rain that make the fields and the forest grow. So think about growth in your life. Think about times that you've grown and taken steps forward. How much pain preceded it? How much discomfort and suffering did you go through in order to realize that growth? Sore muscles, being out of breath, having a broken and beaten body, and yet you see it strengthened as it's going through that suffering. Late night study sessions, a sacrifice of your time in other places uh, that, that you want to go, but no, you sacrifice all that to study and to invest yourself in your studies and, and to gain more knowledge. And you go through some of the suffering and the difficulty and the pain of all that, and you end up smarter than you were before with growth. You can build most anything and, and be left with scars and marks that show your work. It's so easy to know if someone's been painting this week, right? Look at their fingernails. You can wash your hands all you want, but it'll get under those nails. It'll hide in there, right in the cuticles. And, oh, you're painting your walls gray. I see. It's a lovely color. As we go through some of the difficulty, as we go through sufferings, it's as we go through them that can bring us to a place of comfort when that comfort is found in God. Patient endurance of pain leads to a comfort found in new growth and strength. When we know what is to come, it strengthens us to press on. So when we know the end of the story, I think that's one of the beautiful way, ways in which God provides comfort, that we know the end of the story. We know how things are going to play out. We're willing to sacrifice the momentary comfort that leaves nowhere for a greater comfort in Christ that heals. There's a book I referenced before called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. In his book, he talks about the unintended results of warfare. He says, whenever you're trying to attack the enemy, um, there's three people involved in any kind of bombing. 
There's one, the one who has the direct impact. Those who, uh, there's loss of life, loss of home, you know, if, if their home was bombed and it's gone, that kind of thing, and, and they're directly impacted by the attack. Then you have those who are part of those who have been attacked, but they're so far removed from that direct attack that it doesn't phase them too much, right? Oh, somewhere way over the other side of town, there was a bombing. Okay, but didn't didn't directly impact this other group. So you have those who are directly impacted, those not really impacted at all. And then you have this other little group of people that, that he identifies called the near misses. Those who were close enough to the attack that they were directly impacted by it, and, and there was difficulty and suffering, but it didn't take their life. It didn't stop them. It didn't cause them to be so broken down that they had to leave town, but it only emboldened them more. Because they experienced so many near misses, uh, it almost left them feeling more invincible and stronger. Almost this mindset of after another attack, they say, hey, I'm still here. You, you missed me. How many times do you try? And so as they went through more sufferings, they were, they were strengthened and emboldened, and, and they'd realize there's going to be an end to this. This won't last forever. Well, Paul went through some different near misses as well, even the point where he anticipated death, and he shares that. He doesn't go into the detail, and, and scholars haven't been able to un unpack what he's referring to here, but he just kind of shares, hey, I went through some stuff. I went through some stuff. He says in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, if we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They're going through such suffering, such difficulty such burden, that they just figured this is the end. I mean, is, is there anything left? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I'll read that one again. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So when you're in those, those near misses, you got nothing left to, to rely on but God, right? And, and those moments help you to see that God is really all we have. When we have nothing left, we have only Jesus. When we have everything before us, only Jesus will be left. When we have nothing left, we have only Jesus we have everything before us, only Jesus will be left in the end. And so the question I think we all need to ask is, am I trusting in God for my comfort? Or am I seeking temporary pain relief through daily seeking out of comfort in small ways? We can see Paul says that, that uh, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And the question I want to leave us with here is, do we live as a people of hope in Jesus? Do we live as a people of hope in Jesus? You know, I, I've shared before that um, I, I like video games, and I've played different ones throughout my past. And um, one of the ones I liked to play when I was uh, a kid, I'd go to a friend's house, and we'd pull up his Nintendo, and you'd have to blow on the cartridge and stick it in about three different times, and finally fire it up. And it was this game Contra. And if you're familiar with Contra, you probably know that the sequence, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A. And, and that's the code you put in. And if anyone needs that again, I can go over it a few more times. But... <laughs> You should know it by now. Um, but a code you'd put in, and instead of having three lives, you now have 30 lives. 
And so you also have three continues. And so those three lives would be nine lives if you count the continues. Now it became 90 lives. It felt like you had 9,900 lives. I mean, it's, it's like you, you just you couldn't die. You die and you keep coming back and keep coming back. And especially if you're playing two-player, now there's 180 lives. And if one of you ran out of lives, you could actually steal from uh, uh, the, your partner you're playing with. And basically, you had 180 lives between the two of you to kind of dish out to get through this game. You were unstoppable. And you were willing to try different things and do other things in the game because you knew, I got another life. I got another life. I got something to fall back on. When I think about what God has done for us, that he's delivered us from death. We know the, how the story is going to end, that we have an eternity with him. And I pause and I wonder, why doesn't that embolden us more than it does? Why doesn't that give us more hope than it does? We serve a God who raises the dead. You think 30 lives from three is impressive. God brings eternal life. We serve a God who raises the dead. And yet we struggle sometimes to live as people of hope. We see the things that, that plague this world and plague our lives, the difficulties we face. And let's be honest, they're difficult. Suffering is, is real. It's not fun. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's hard. It's difficult. It beats us down. It wears us out. But if anyone in this life is going to have hope, if anyone's going to be able to say, it gets better, if anyone's going to say, I know the end of the story and there's something worth fighting for, there's a reason to push through all this difficulty, there's a reason to endure patiently through the suffering because there is a growth that, that, that will happen that will be so amazing and there is a God you can rely on for he is holy and he is good and he is for you. If there's anyone that can have that kind of a hope, it should be those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? And so as we begin this, this 